This is Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yehayis Wuhib in Washington. Here's what's coming up on Africa News Tonight. We will just follow those procedures that are available uh, because the bodies are in a decomposed state. That's uh, Peter Kalaya, spokesperson for the Malawi Police Service on the discovery of a mass grave. Details coming up also. Protesters have ransacked the office of Chad's Prime Minister and clashes that left at least 30 dead. Peace talks between Ethiopia and its Tigray region are scheduled to start Monday. And British Prime Minister Lee's Truss has resigned after just 44 days in office. These stories and more on African News tonight. But first, our top story in Chad. Protesters have ransacked the office of the Prime Minister after hundreds of demonstrators turned out in the capital in Jamina to mark the date when the military had initially promised to hand over power. The French news agency AFP reports at least 30 people have died in clashes with security forces. For more on what's happening in Chad, Timothy Donangmai, the chief of the VOA Friend to Africa service, joins me via phone. Welcome to Africa News Tonight, Timothy. Thank you. So, tell us, what is known about the latest protests today? Well, the latest is that Prime Minister Saleh Kebzabu announced a new death toll, around 50 people killed in N'Djamena and a couple of uh, southern cities. He also announced, announced uh, an overnight curfew. So uh, I understand also police officers were, were killed as well. That's what the authorities said, about 10 uh, members of security forces. Yes. Uh, so what prompted the protests? Is this a pushback against the Transitional Military Council headed by the son of the former President Idris Deby? Uh, well, in fact, the Transitional Military Council has been uh, disbanded, and, uh, but people are protesting the fact that uh, General Mahmoud Idris Itno uh, remains the head of, state, uh, head of state of Chad for the next 24 months. Uh, when he had initially promised, he and the other generals had promised to hand over power to a civilian regime uh, in a, at the end of an 18-month uh, time period. So people are uh, against that. Uh, people are also protesting the way the national dialogue took place. They said it wasn't inclusive. It uh, included only uh, people who uh, were for General uh, Mahmoud Idris Deby. So... That's why we have these demonstrations. So the party headquarters of the new prime minister, Saleh Kebazbo, was attacked. Uh, was he in the building or is he okay? No, he's not. he was not in the building. He is okay. Uh, he was able to make the statement about uh, the death toll and the overnight curfew. Uh, but uh, people are upset that uh, first he, uh, his party joined the military transition by um, taking two uh, minister positions in the transitional government. And then uh, Mr. Kebzabo himself was the vice president, vice chair of the committee that organized uh, the uh, national dialogue. And so people now feel that he has been rewarded for working in that dialogue to promote 
General Idris uh, Deby's um, uh, cause. So that's why people are so upset against him and his party. So in all this, Timothy, any word from the military regarding the protests? Uh, no word from the military. Uh, we just know that uh, security forces are out in large numbers in, in, in Jamena and uh, in the southern cities, and that they have initially used uh, tear gas, but then ended up firing live shots. Uh, that's why we have those uh, about 50 people killed. Timothy Donangmai, the chief of the VOA French to Africa service uh, on the uh, uh, riots going on in Chad. Thank you for your input. My pleasure. Police in northern Malawi are investigating the death of 25 male foreigners believed to be Ethiopians found buried in a mass grave in a forest in the Mazimbi district. Police say villagers discovered the month-old mass grave in the forest while hunting insects. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre, Malawi. The preliminary investigation on the deceased shows that all of them are Ethiopian nationals. Peter Kalaya's spokesperson for Malawi Police Service. We found two temporary traveling documents that indicated the names and um, nationalities of these, these people. Again, we found phone SIM cards bearing the country Ethiopia. So having prior knowledge that most of the illegal migrants we intercept are from Ethiopia, that gave us a basis to conclude that these were Ethiopians. Kalaya says the month old mass grave was discovered by villagers who were hunting for wild insects in the Tangatanga Forest Reserve. He told VOA Thursday that the medical experts were still conducting an autopsy on the bodies to establish the cause of the death. He says arrangements are being made about where to rebury the dead bodies. At the moment we are strategizing because there is a procedure that has to be followed. These are foreign nationals and uh, we will just follow those procedures that are available. Uh, because the bodies are in a decomposed state. Uh, so we'll see what to do after everything is done. Police on Thursday found another grave in the forest reserve, this one containing four bodies. The nationalities of the deceased from this grave were not immediately known. Malawi is a transit route for foreigners, especially Ethiopians, who are trafficked through Malawi and route to South Africa. These people mostly use uncharted routes and sometimes find refuge in forests as they plan their next step. For example, police in Karonga district said Thursday they are interrogating 72 Ethiopians. They arrested Wednesday after they were found loitering in the forest. Police spokesman George Mulewa said the Ethiopians are being held on charges of illegal entry, adding that 10 Malawians have been charged with assisting them. As of now, we are trying to probe more from them so that we should know why they are coming in from their respective home and at the same time hiding in the bush, which is a threat to us as Malawians as well as themselves because we have been hearing our people are dying in the bushes. The governments of Malawi and Ethiopia, with support from the International Organization for Migration, have been repatriating Ethiopians arrested for illegal entry. Pasquale Zuri is a spokesperson for the Department of Immigration in Malawi. 
the process is still going. Uh, so last week we managed to repatriate another cohort of 22, and in total since August we have managed to repatriate 198 all Ethiopians. Critics of the government blame the situation on Malawi's porous borders. Zulu says the problem is that illegal immigrants are receiving aid from Malawians. He said fewer migrants will come if communities keep informing security agencies whenever they see suspicious movement of strange people in their areas. Lamik Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. The Africa Union has set October 24th as a date for peace talks to end the war in Ethiopia's Tigray region, according to the National Security Advisor for Ethiopia's Prime Minister. The talks set to take place in South Africa would be aimed at ending the two-year war that has killed hundreds of thousands of people. Fred Harter reports from Addis Ababa. The announcement from Ethiopian National Security Advisor Redwan Hussein came days after the federal government announced the capture of three strategic towns in Tigray, including Shire, which hosts large numbers of people uprooted by the war. In recent days, diplomats have urged the federal government and the Tigray forces to agree to an immediate ceasefire, with UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres warning Monday that the situation in northern Ethiopia is spiralling out of control. African Union-led peace talks were supposed to take place earlier this month in South Africa, with both the Tigray rebels and the federal government saying they were ready to participate. The talks were delayed due to logistical issues. Redwan said on Twitter Thursday that the federal government has reconfirmed our commitment to participate in talks mediated by the AU. However, we are dismayed that some are bent on preempting the peace talks and spreading false allegations against the defensive measures, he added an indirect reference to recent statements from Western officials expressing alarm over reports of attacks on civilians. The federal government said this week that it is planning to take control of Tigray's airports and federal institutions in order to safeguard the sovereignty and territorial integrity of the country. EU foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell said Monday that the EU deplores the escalation of violence and irreparable cost to human life in Ethiopia and warned the parties to begin peace talks without delay. A recent UN report found that all sides have committed human rights abuses since the conflict broke out in November 2020. Samantha Power, who heads the US Agency for International Development, warned Sunday that there is a significant risk of further assaults and killings being perpetrated against civilians if the fighting engulfs camps for displaced people in Tigray. The Tigray rebels did not immediately confirm their participation in the talks in South Africa on October 24, but have previously committed to participating in a peace process overseen by the AU. Fred Harter, for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. The head of uh, US Africa Command, AFRICOM, General Michael Langley said after a two-day visit to Morocco that talks with officials there focused on continued cooperation on critical security issues and regional stability. David DeRoche, an associate professor at the Near East South Asia Center for Security Studies, discussed with VOA senior analyst Mohamed El-Shanawi the importance of U.S.-Morocco military cooperation in achieving regional security in Africa. 
It's very important. Morocco was the first country to recognize the United States during our revolution. We have long-standing ties. Morocco has always been a strong security partner. Morocco is very important to the United States and important to the region. There's a long history of mutual cooperation in the defense and political sphere. And Morocco is a security provider in a region that is increasingly unstable and also provides a model for modernization on the African continent that quite frankly, others would benefit from. So I think it's important that this is recognized and that the ties are reinforced. Would that impact the tension between Algeria and Morocco? That's the downside of the relationship is that uh, Algeria views any cooperation with Morocco as a, a zero-sum game that detracts from its own security. It's really unfortunate because the United States wants to be security partners with both countries. Our security cooperation with Algeria is not as well-developed. It's not as uh, fully formed. I think in large part, this is a hangover from the Algerian revolution. There still seems to be some vestigial loyalty to the Soviet Union and its successor state. Russia is the largest provider of arms to Algeria. That's unfortunate because I don't think it serves Algerian interests. In October of 2020, Morocco and the United States signed a 10-year roadmap for defense cooperation that guides cooperation in priority areas, including bolstering Morocco's military modernization and efforts to more effectively face regional threats together. What does that entail? Well, it's a broad range of cooperation, but it pretty much builds on cooperation that we've had for decades. In the past, you know, Morocco had a strategic air command air base. That's since been extraneous to American requirements, but the relationship has always been robust. There's always been a lot of training, a lot of Moroccan officers trained in the United States. Uh, there's been a military training mission that's been in position more than 50 years. The uh, relationship is generally strong, and it's very rare to find a senior Moroccan officer who is not trained in the United States at some point because of that and because of their own strengths. The Moroccan military is regarded as one of the most professional ones in Africa. And as I said earlier, it's a net exporter of security. I mean, I served in Bosnia with Moroccan forces. They're fantastic. And, you know, 40 years ago, the idea that African forces would be conducting peacekeeping missions in Europe would have been unheard of. But uh, the Moroccan military professionalism and capacity really is a model for the rest of the world. And the United States, I think, is prudent to amplify and seek to expand it. The English visit took place just a few weeks before a major milestone in the history of the U.S.-Morocco relationship, the 80th anniversary of Operation Torch, which happened in November 1942, when 30,000 U.S. troops landed in Morocco to protect the region from Nazi tyranny during the World War II. Can you briefly shed some light on the significance of that operation? Torch was both a uh, strategic and an operational mission for the United States. On the strategic front, the aim was to ensure that the vestigial colonies and protectorates of France, and it's important to note that Morocco was a protectorate, not a colony of France, but to ensure that they did not join Vichy and did not support the Nazis. So the aim in landing in Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia was basically to remove these French colonies and protectorates from the possible sphere of influence of Vichy which had, by that time was veering towards out-out collaboration with Nazis. Operationally, these were the first major combat operations by U.S. military forces in the West. And that was important in that, you know, we conducted these complex landings that ultimately, you know, we'd have to execute under fire in order to, you know, take the fight to Germany, as we saw at the Normandy. So it provided us the ability not just to flip a potential base that might go towards the Germans, but also to try out our techniques of landing in a potentially opposed areas in the sea's ground from the sea. 
That was David Deroche, an associate professor at the Near East Southeast Asia Center for Security Studies, speaking with VOA's Mohammed Al Shinawi. British Prime Minister Liz Truss says she resigned after a rising chorus of members of her own party called for her to step down. With only 44 days in office, Truss is the shortest-serving prime minister in UK history. Our VOA reporter, Venus Shishimana, is in London, closely following the story. He joined us live on the phone. Welcome to African News Tonight. So, Venusta, why why did Trust resign? Look, the main reason for her to leave, as she said, is the political instability. She said she could not deliver her mandate, the mandate on which she was elected by the Conservative Party. It is not the financial and market turmoil that brought her down. It is also the the anger among the British people. There have been a lot of strikes since when she came to power 44 days ago. Winter is coming and energy prices are still high. The mortgage rate is high. She said that she's resigning for, from the leadership of the Conservative Party, but that she will remain as a prime minister while waiting for the appointment of her successor. Truss said uh, she would remain as prime minister until the member of her party choose a a new leader, like you just said. But what happens next in terms of selecting a new prime minister and a new government? What happens next is that the the conservative MPs will get together and will choose the next prime minister. The next prime minister wants to be elected by party members across the country, as it was uh, when uh, Liz Truss was um, elected. The new prime minister should be there next week, Friday, uh, according to the chairman of the 1922 committee. And among the candidates that have been uh, already announced and who have announced their intention to run, we have the the former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who is traveling back from the Caribbean where he was on holiday. We have got Richard Sunak, the former uh, Chancellor and the, the unsuccessful candidate for the Conservative Party in leader. Uh, there could be other candidates as well, like uh, Ben Wallace, the um, Defence uh, Minister. But the context is open. Uh, Venus Shimimana from London. Uh, thank you for your input. Startups and small and medium-sized enterprises are changing the way Africa does business through innovation and technology. From agriculture, telecommunication, health, and so many sectors, young entrepreneurs are infusing vibrancy and energy into the African economy. Big business is watching and ready to support Through the 2022 Africa Digital Innovation Competition, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and its prestigious partners are providing cash awards and mentorship support to three of Africa's top innovators chosen from 17,000 candidates from 50 countries in North, Central, East, West and Southern Africa. The Voice of America interviewed the top 10 candidates from where the finalists will be picked. Here is one of them. My name is Raul Fossi. I'm 37 years old. 
and I'm the founder of a young startup company called Skyview Solutions, based in Douala in Cameroon. We applied to the 2022 African Digital Innovation Competition because we hope that through the competition, we can get the visibility necessary to attract us additional resources, both intellectual and financial, to help us develop the next phases of our application and also help us scale across Africa. To be one of the top 10 finalists of the competition is a huge honor, especially for such a young team, but it's also a big pride for our country, Cameroon. And it is, in addition to that, it's validation um, of our solution and confirmation that we're headed in the right direction. Also, it's confirmation that with a little bit of courage and a lot of determination, we can accomplish great things. Our solution is a very simple application that makes it possible for anybody, private business, uh, contractor, building a home or a business anywhere around the world to access their building remotely as if they're actually there physically and be able to, to appreciate progress over time from a visual standpoint and a quantitative standpoint. Um, and giving them understanding of exactly what's being done on their job site over time and what resources have been used over time. The biggest impact that a solution will have on a society as a whole is that it would significantly reduce the cost of construction in our communities by 5 to 10%. It would do so by reducing the amount of waste, both in time and resources experienced by most construction owners and construction managers currently in our environment. If we win the competition, I'll be extremely happy for my young team. In three years of entrepreneurship, one thing I've learned is that success is really less in the destination and more in the journey. So rather than focus on the future or what I would do, I choose to celebrate the present and the fact that we indeed have been selected among the top 10 um, companies, young companies in the continent. That was Raoul Fossi with the startup company Skyview Solutions in Cameroon. The company is one of the 10 finalists in the Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups organized by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's U.S. Africa Business Center. Chad has declared a state of emergency due to flooding that its leaders say has affected more than a million people. According to the French news agency AFP, Mohamed Idris Debi says floods in more than 18 of the country's 23 provinces have swallowed up more than 465,000 hectares of fields and 19,000 heads of livestock. He said in a television address that most at risk now are the capital in N'Djamena and surrounding areas. The 38-year-old five-star general said the government and friendly countries need to provide shelter, basic necessities, and health protection. Debbie says so far no lives have been lost. An official in northwest Nigeria says 14 people drowned when a passenger boat capsized. The French news agency AFP says the victims included 11 men and 3 women who were traveling at an event marking the birth of a Prophet Muhammad on Tuesday. The administrator of Shagari district says the bodies were buried yesterday. Authorities say divers rescued 10 other passengers. The news service notes that both accidents occur regularly in Nigeria from overloading, poor maintenance, and disregarding navigation rules. Twenty-six people died in April when their canoe collapsed on the same river.
And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehayas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Adrias Rigas, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.